going to read in just a moment from Psalm number 72. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, welcome to you. Thank you for joining us for worship here at Parksville Baptist this morning. A week ago today, one of our people passed into the presence of our Lord. His name was Russell Elliott. Russell was 90 years old and came to know his Lord face to face a week ago today. And there will be a graveside memorial service on Wednesday at 1 p.m. For those of you that knew Russell, you are welcome to attend. Psalm 72 is written by David, but it's written of Solomon. So what we have in Psalm 72 is David's yearning for his son. David's longing in the covenant promises that God had given to him that there would always be one of his children on the throne. It's a prayer for Solomon, his son. But as I read it, I think you'll recognize that it speaks to something far more than what was ever realized in Solomon. But what it expounds is a king who was so full of power and authority and dominion that he could be trusted. And a king also that was so full of, of glory and beauty towards his people that he was also not only trusted, but adored. And as I read it, would you please think not so much of Solomon, but of the one that Solomon anticipated. And that is our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our king. Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. How many of you saw the moon this morning? It was, uh, it was beautiful, setting behind the mountain. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the mountaintops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Would you please help us to grasp something of its breadth 
and depth today in Jesus. Amen. Following the theme of the weekend, I'm going to, from the New Testament now, look briefly at Acts chapter 17, the words of Paul in a synagogue to the people who live in Thessalonica. Paul says this, that he reasoned for three Sabbaths with the people in the synagogue. Acts 17, verses two and three. Proving from the scriptures that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise again. You're probably very familiar with the idea that Jesus died according to the scriptures, and that's absolutely true. And that's what we emphasized on Good Friday. But this morning, we want to emphasize the rest of it, that the Apostle Paul says that he used the scriptures to, to prove that Jesus must rise. And so we can say that Jesus must rise because the scriptures say so. Jesus must rise because God declared it beforehand as a necessity. So the scriptures not only declare the resurrection to be true and a reliable historical event, we trust the scriptures in its description of the resurrection, but also the resurrection proves something true about the scriptures, that the scriptures are reliable. That's why Paul could, could take the book from them and say, from the scriptures, I can show you that he must not only die, but he also, he must live and so there's this reciprocal relationship between the resurrection and the scriptures. The scriptures declare Jesus to be risen, but the resurrection declares the scriptures to be reliable. It is a wonderful thing. And so when Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus be not raised, we are fools and we make God to be a liar. How so? If Jesus is not raised, then the scriptures have lied to us. If Jesus be not raised, then the scriptures are useless. They're, they're, they're worthless. If Jesus is not, not raised, then not only is Jesus dead, the scriptures are dead. And so using that same vocabulary that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Jesus is not raised... We could also say that if Jesus is not raised, then the word of God has lied to us and we are still in our sins because the word of God is not true. Then we of all people are fools. We should not be here. If the word of God is not trustworthy, if the word of God is not reliable, if the word of God is not true, then we are fools and we are still in our sins. But the resurrection declares something about the scriptures. Just as the scriptures declare something about the resurrection, that it actually happened. So also the resurrection declares something about the scriptures. They are true. They are reliable. If Jesus is alive, the scriptures are alive. And so the joy of the resurrection is this. As Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, I love when I get it to this, to this verse when I read through the Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. 
is especially true of the resurrection. The resurrection declares this more than anything else, that, that every word of God proves true. If, he, if Jesus is not alive, the scriptures are dead and they are not proved true. And so Paul went into the synagogue at Thessalonica. It must have been quite a sight. Jesus did something similar. But he went into the, the synagogue in Thessalonica and, and opened their own book as he's sitting there listening to the law and the prophets being read. You can imagine Paul as he listens to it all, then he says, give me that book. <laughs> give, it to, give me that book. And he took their own scripture. He took their own law and the prophets. And he proved to them using their book, using their scriptures, that the Jesus that I am proclaiming to be alive makes your book live. He proved them according to the scriptures. He says something similar in 1 Corinthians 15 in the first few verses. It says, I delivered to you as of first importance when Jesus, what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and was buried. So we're probably more familiar with that idea. Yes, Jesus died according to the scriptures. So, there's so many texts that we know that anticipated the death of our Lord. But then he goes on to say this, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It was according to the scriptures that Jesus was raised. So again, the New Testament declares the resurrection to be true, but the resurrection itself proves the scriptures to be true because they told it beforehand. They announced it beforehand. I'm reading through the book of Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah uh, right now in my Old Testament prophet reading of my daily scripture reading. And in Isaiah chapter 48, God says this to his people. He says, I declare things to you before they happen, because if I don't do that, then you think your idols made it happen. <laughs> you won't attribute it to me. You'll just think, oh yeah, well, we did that. But you see, idols, we can attribute things happening to idols when they happen, but nobody ever attributes something happening because the idol said it beforehand. And that's the reasoning that Paul is using with the resurrection. As, as also as God says in Isaiah chapter 48, I declare things to you beforehand. And when I declare them to you, it's as if they had already happened because I've declared it. And the resurrection did happen. And we attribute it to the power of God and not only the power of God, but to the trustworthiness of the scripture. So the resurrection is one of the greatest examples that we can stake our life on the word of God. If Jesus is dead, the scriptures are dead. If Jesus is alive, all of the scriptures are alive. Not just some of them, but all of them that, that pointed to all of the work that God would do through his anointed servant. If I could impress something upon you today, even more than the resurrection, I never thought I would hear myself say that. But if I could impress something on you, even more so than the resurrection, where you believe, yeah, I believe somebody came to life once a long time ago. It's why I go to church once a year. But if I could impress on you something even more today, it would be this, that the scriptures are true. That is something that, that you can live by each and every single day. And it's because of the scriptures that are, it's because the scriptures are true that Jesus is indeed alive. 
Paul gives an example of Old Testament prophecy. You wonder, what did he say? Where did he go in, 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 in the text? Where, when he grabbed the book, what, what, what did he do? Well, there's so many, so many places that, that he could have gone. Later, Laurie will read from Job. I, I know that my, my Redeemer lives. I, I like the story of Abraham and when he's called to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he was prepared to do so. And later in the book of Hebrews, we, we know what the substance of his faith was. It was the resurrection. He said, he, he, it says that he knew that if he were to sacrifice his son, that he fully expected to receive him back from the dead. An expectation in the resurrection. But later on in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives an example of the use of Old Testament prophecy of how he would show from the scriptures that Jesus must rise, quoting from Isaiah 25, verse 8. You know those blessed words in 1 Corinthians 15 that asks death a question? It says, where's your sting, O death? Where is it? Show it to me. Show me your sting. Show me, show me your power. He's quoting the Old Testament scripture. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 25, verse, verse 8, that says, on this mountain, I will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all of their faces. Again, from the book of, book of Isaiah. Listen to this. Listen to what, I mean, there's so many places you could go. But listen to this from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, about what becomes true of Jesus because of what the scriptures said beforehand. Behold, your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead those who are with young. Peter at Pentecost also proclaimed the resurrection as a matter of God's faithfulness to fulfill his word. See what Peter was doing? He's not simply saying Jesus is alive at Pentecost. And Pentecost is coming. Sunday's coming uh, from this weekend, but also Pentecost is coming. And we hope to uh, look forward to gathering on, on Pentecost Sunday as, as well. But not just that Jesus was alive, but the scriptures are true on Pentecost. And because the scriptures are true, Jesus is alive. And so he says, quoting from Psalm 16, another place you can go in the Old Testament. My heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also shall dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus must rise because the scriptures beforehand had declared it. The scriptures are true. The scriptures are reliable. The resurrection declares it to be true. But I hope that you can see that it's not, I hope you can see the implication of this. I hope you can see the, 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 the vast body of truth that comes to rest upon our Lord as we, as we celebrate the resurrection, his resurrection and the conquering of the grave. 
I hope you can see the, the implications of the resurrection, that the resurrection isn't merely some trick of resuscitation. You think, well, yeah, I, I, I can believe that, that that happened some, some you know, years, years ago. But what I want to expound more this morning is the implication because of all that the scriptures are, all of the scriptures that are declared to be true through the resurrection. It's not merely a, a trick of resuscitation. It's a, it's a divine working of vindication. When our Lord was brought from the grave, all of the scriptures were vindicated in their truthfulness. And all that Jesus had said about himself in being the fulfillment of all that God had said to the people who believed he was lying and crucified him. He was vindicated in all of those things that he claimed to be through the resurrection, all of them based upon God's word. If Jesus is alive, then all that the scriptures declared to be true of this great king and this great shepherd are true of Jesus. Imagine if you'd never seen the sun. Did you enjoy dawn this morning? I did. I sat in a chair, sipping coffee. It's about six o'clock. The sun comes up right now. In fact, the moon was going down about the same time, I think. A glorious morning. The dawn is such a beautiful thing. People still take pictures of it every day, even though they've seen it a thousand times. It's still, we still marvel at the, the anticipation of the sun coming over the horizon, and it's, it's, it's brightening into the fullness of day. Imagine if you had never seen light. As the scriptures say, as the people walked in darkness. Imagine the two on the road to Emmaus. It's, 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 it's no wonder that the scripture says that their hearts burned within them. As Jesus expounded the scriptures to them, their hearts burned within them. And I have a confession to make this morning that on the way I, I, I prayed, Lord, please help me give the people heartburn today. <laughs> give us all heartburn. Make our hearts burn, stir our hearts, oh Lord. But can you imagine as this is what, what it says of, of, of those two where Jesus says, you, you foolish ones and, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Jesus said to them. What a rebuke. Again, Jesus is taking their own book and they're going, who are you? You don't have a clue what's going on here. And Jesus again takes the book and says, you're the foolish ones. Can't you see what's going on? But imagine the dawning on them. Imagine the darkness that they're still walking on. Imagine as, as that, you know, that, that beautiful silhouette when the sun is just starting to show a little bit of crack. And, and imagine the, as the, it begins to dawn on them, all that is true. Well, wait a minute, if, if, you're, if you're alive then, and it would begin to dawn on them. Wait a minute, if, if you're alive, then all that God said to Abraham, all the God that went on in the garden, all of the, the curse of, of death, uh, well, wait a minute, all that goes on in the temple, all of the sacrificial system, all of the law, and oh man, all of the prophets, all of the thing that, that God said through all of the prophets, all of the exile and, and the coming back and uh, all of the God spoke about eternity and the building of, of a holy city and where death would be swallowed up and imagine the bright of day shining in their hearts. It's no wonder that they said that our hearts burned 
within us. As Jesus spoke to them, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, that he was to suffer and then enter into his glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. I hope there's something in your heart this morning that you can give thanks for. I'm going to give opportunity in just a few minutes for a, a time of, of a fellowship and sharing one to another, person to person, about the greatness of our Lord that we are celebrating, particularly on this Resurrection Sunday. But my main point today is also my conclusion. Getting to the point, also getting to the end. And this is the pastoral application. This is what I, I believe that we really need to take away and, and take home with us. That Jesus must rise because of the scriptures, but because also of all that the scriptures promised that would be true of Jesus, true of God's anointed, that he would be one who could both be trusted and adored. I hope you noticed that in the Solomon, the psalm that I read about Solomon. That David's yearning, David's longing for his son is that there, there would be something that, that had a power and authority in order that the people could trust it in all of their trials and all of their tribulation. And not only that, but a, a king that was beautiful to the people, a king that was, was so glorious and had a splendor that, that the people would not only trust the king, but that they would adore the king. And that's the pastoral point, I believe, of, of the resurrection and all of the scriptures being declared true through the resurrection is that we trust and adore we have a savior that we, we can trust in because all dominion and power and authority has been delivered to him, has been given to him. And so it means that we can trust in him. Not only that, in his, in his rising, he rises with such a glory and a delivery of the beauty of God to us and all the promises of God that we can adore him. And so that is why we need the Holy Spirit. That is why we need the Spirit of God that not just in our own strength, not just in our own wisdom, not just in our own understanding, but why also the Comforter must come, why the Spirit must be coming so that we would begin to grasp all that is fulfilled in the one who has risen from the grave in order that we would trust in him, that we would put our trust in him, not in any idols, and that we would adore him, that we would consider him the most precious thing and consider everything else relative to that for its real worth in this world. He is to be trusted and adored. So as Jesus made his way to Jerusalem while he was living, over and over again, he foretold his disciples three times alone in the Gospel of Mark. Again, you're familiar with this probably. He told his disciples, we're on our way up to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. The Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. They will betray him and they will crucify him and he will be lifted up and die. We're familiar with that. But each and every single time where Jesus predicted and told his disciples plainly, I'm going to die, he said, I'm going to live. The Son of Man will be delivered up to death, and three days later, he will rise again. Why? Because Jesus understood the Scriptures. 
He knew his life, his very, his very word he told the devil, or his very food, rather, he told the devil, is the word of God, is what I, what I live upon. And his whole calling, his own sense of, of identity came from his understanding that I am, I've come to earth to fulfill and make reliable all of God's words. So he understood that, that if he did not raise, rise from the grave, that many words of God would be proved untrue. They would be left in the grave. They'd be dead, worthless to us. But if he lives, if he not only dies, but if he lives, then all that God has said lives to us. And so he knew that he, he, he must bear all of the penalty of guilt and sin. But you know that he said, Peter says that it was with joy that the cross was set before him. You know that Luke says that when he sat down to eat the meal with him, he says it's with anticipation that I, I eat this meal with you. Not because the cross did not have its agony, but because he came not merely to die, but to live again. He came to conquer death. And that in rising in his strength and power and dominion, in his beauty and in his glory, he would administer the benefits of his death to his people. And so he knew that he, in order to be the object of trust and affection, that he must rise from the grave. And so this is, our great hope that he is a God so full of authority and power and beauty that we trust him and we love him. Andrew opened the service from Hebrews, no, from Isaiah 53, same text we read on Good Friday, that he bore our griefs he was crushed for our inequities. And in, in the same verse, in the same line, it says, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And Jesus says, I will rise again. Because he knew that in his hand, the will of God must prosper. The word of God would prosper in his hand. And I don't know how better to summarize the will of God for you and me in the hand of Jesus than to trust him, than to adore him, to have somebody who has such authority and power that we can talk to him about everything. We can talk to him about our sin. We can talk to him about our guilt, about our shame. We can talk to him about our family. We can talk to him about our identity. We can talk to him about the nations. We can talk to him about war. We can talk to him about our prime minister. Many of us are doing that right now. The scriptures tells us to. You can't do that from the grave. You can't be that for people from the grave. He's risen with all authority, but not only with authority, also a glory, a beauty. Rising from the grave, he he shows the beauty of God to us and how God loves us steadfastly. Imagine the, the thrill of Jesus, knowing that he would endure the agony of the cross, yes, but, but in his hand, display the glory of God to us in his steadfast love, in his mercies, in his covenant dealings with us, giving hope to us. The privilege for me to sit by Russ Elliott's bed a week ago 
hours from the kingdom of God to seeing Jesus face to face. He knew who I was, but he, he was mostly unconscious. And so I, I just spoke to him, told the story, talked of our faith, said, brother, you will, you will live. You have trusted in a living Savior. And just spent five or ten minutes talking through all of the, as we've said together through the Apostles' Creed, just talking through the great hope of the Christian. And so Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. This glorifies God, that we trust in Jesus and that we adore him, that we love him. And through the resurrection, Jesus delivers us into a kingdom, a kingdom that is both secure and precious. It is secure because of his authority. It is precious because of his beauty. And we are both in that kingdom. We are both safe. I hope you feel safe in the hand of our Savior. All that the scriptures have ever declared about the faithfulness of God to us are true in his hand because of the resurrection. And I hope you are full of thanksgiving to God, that it makes your heart burn, that it stirs your hearts to give thanks to God.